Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 162 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, we're taking our first voyage to the wild past with a special guest, ecologist and history podcaster for a postmortem of the dearly departed Dodo. We discuss the unique traits that allowed the Dodo to thrive in its island home, what went wrong for them when humans appeared, and why they left such big, heavy footprints in our hearts. Just the Zoo of Us presents The Dodo with Natalie Sabin. friends. This is Ellen Weatherford. Welcome to Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. I am really delighted this week to be talking to a friend who I've known for a while. I'm really excited to finally get to actually talk to you. I'm surprised that this is the first time we've actually <laughs> spoken. Uh, this is Natalie Sabin. Say hi, Natalie. Hello. Thanks for having me. Finally. I know, right? <laughs> Thank you for coming on. I'm excited to talk about our animal. We're taking our first ever trip through the time machine. Uh, we've never talked about an extinct animal before. So this will be really fun. This won't be our last, but it will certainly be a fun first. But before we talk about our extinct friend this week, let's talk about our very alive and still extant human friend, <laughs> Natalie. Uh, Natalie, you do a history podcast. So you're coming at this from kind of a history sort of angle. Um, can you introduce yourself a little bit for our friends listening? Yes. Hi, I'm Natalie and I do a history podcast called Across the Ages, which I started in during lockdown because I like talking at people and I like telling people facts. Info dumping as it were. Yeah. And the thing is, <laughs> it just gives my friends a break <laughs> from listening to just like, oh, did you know this? Oh, I learned this the other day. You know, I can just be like, listen to my podcast. You know, that's fine. You're like at dinner parties with people handing out like QR codes, like, here, listen to me talk about yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, the reason I started was um, I was watching my friend streaming and I was just sort of like typing in the comments saying, oh, hey. And I, for some reason, just decided to put a fact about a tree in the chat. And someone said, oh, that's really interesting. You should do a podcast. And I was like, should I? <laughs> should I? Um, and then, but because I do sort of nature for work, so I'm an ecologist by trade. I like history as much as nature. They And I find it really interesting. And I thought, well, I get my sort of nature fix while I'm out at work. So let's try a history one. How can I make this different to all the other history ones? And I don't know how it popped into my brain, but I decided to follow one topic across time and cultures. So each episode will be focused on a specific topic. So a lot of things have a snapshot, but the first episode is shoes, for example, which do not sound interesting, <laughs> but I promise they are. And I, I, I cherry pick the interesting shoes throughout history, like the extremes, for example, I'll pick the oldest shoe and talk about that and um, what it was made of. And then the tallest shoe and the longest shoe you know, and um, follow that through, you know, Turkish bath shoes. And I can't remember what, they, what they're exactly called, but, <laughs> you know, the sort of things that are more interesting. So I've done shoes, I've done hats, I've done weapons, tomb discoveries, alcohol, and it means I can just talk for ages and people listen, surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, so you mentioned that you do ecology for work, and I know that a lot of your work focuses on bats. I would love if you could let us know a little bit about like what is your what is your work like? So I work as an ecological consultant, which means that basically in the UK, anything that's built. So if a housing development wants to buy a field and build X amount of houses on it, by law, they are required to have me go on there and have a look and say, these are the protected species, which we have quite a lot of in the UK. These are the protected species that are going to be negatively impacted by this development. So all bat species, we've got uh, 17 breeding species in the UK, but any bats, any bat here that comes here, if it's, um, you know, a one-off, you know, that's protected and their roosting places are protected. Badgers, birds, all birds are protected. And so we basically have to say, okay, well, if you're going to build these houses, this is what you need to do to mitigate the harm that's going to come to those species habitats. So that is literally, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's very seasonal. It's very, each species have their survey times, their start and end. And we then submit that report along with the planning application to the local authority who then looks at it and says, okay, you're properly mitigating for this. So yes, you can go and build those houses as long as you put up these back boxes, as long as you don't go within 30 meters of this badger set. So it is nice and rewarding and I do enjoy it. And we need licenses to work with bats in the UK. So because they're so protected. So I'm, I've got level one, which literally means I can shine a torch at a bat. That's it. And that's it. (laughs) If you disturb a bat, you could get fined. So the license means that you know enough about their ecology, you're responsible, you know, you know about their habits, you know how to survey for them properly. And I'm just hopefully very soon going to get my level two, which I'm very close to getting, (laughs) which means I can handle them. The bat carers can handle them. And I sort of help out with the local bat carer as well. But you need to have handled like lots of different families of bats to be able to get your license. and You need to be able to endoscope. Basically, you're not going to poke a bat in the eye when you're looking in a crevice with the endoscope. I mean, they're fragile little fellas. They are so small. The biggest British bat is probably like four finger lengths. Its body is just so even, but that's what we call the big bats. And the pipistrels, which are our most common species, are two finger lengths. And I mean width, not length. Sure. They are so tiny and they look really big um, when you see them, but that's just because they've got massive wings. But they're really tiny. So you don't want to crush them with your giant human hands. You have to be very gentle with them while they're screaming at you because they're like, get off me. You know, and you have to just be like, just have this water. Eat this mealworm, please. I'm trying to help you, sir. Oh, those poor little babies. Yeah, they're, they're very cute and it's very rewarding. And like, I genuinely go out on back walks just in my own time when I'm not being paid. When I have friends around, I go, do you want to go on a back walk? Do you have one of those little devices that like, it's like a bat detector? Yeah. <laughs> I think those are so neat. Yeah, they're really cool. And I actually, I bought one before I even knew what an ecologist was. Aww. Because I, in 2017, and I used to work in marketing for Xbox. That sounds like it a cool, cool job, actually. It was cool. <laughs> um, had I not been made redundant, I wouldn't have retrained and got into ecology. But while I was still working there, I just started going on bat walks and I was like, this is the best. <laughs> and so I just, not thinking I'd ever work in it, but I went and I got the Magenta 4 because the Magenta 5 had just come out with a fancy screen. Whereas I got like the physical one that you have to like turn the dial and there's no screen on it. But I, the first time I went out on my own with my new bat detector, I was just like, let's go out for a walk. And I, drags my other half along I was like let's go 
Um, let's see if we can find some bats. And I found a, a whole roost with like hundreds of bats in it because I was just like, they love water. Let's go down by the river. And there was a there was obviously a roost under this bridge. And I've got a video of them just like swooping. You can hear them on the descent, like swooping over my shoulder. And it's just every time I see a bat, it's magical. Like even now, like I love it so much. They're so wonderful. And they're like little, like little mysteries, little flying little mysteries. They are. They make me happy. <laughs> little treasures. Yeah. I'm sure that our animal for today wishes that ecological consultants had existed at the same time as this animal, because maybe then we would be able to see them. Um, yeah. <laughs> but tragically, yeah. they did not. They did not. But I, I wish these fellas had had someone like you in their corner. Rest in peace. Yeah. Pour one out. Today, we're talking about the dodo, which I think is a great first extinct animal for us to talk about, because this is probably the extinct animal that, like, most people have probably at least heard of them. Yeah. If you are about my age, you probably saw the movie Ice Age as a kid, mm -hmm. and there were dodos in that. Uh, I believe there were some in Alice in Wonderland yep. also. Mm -hmm. Were they the little, like, I don't even know what that sport is. <laughs> no. Are you thinking of croquet? Yes. Yeah, you're thinking of croquet. No, those were flamingos. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, okay. they were flaming. <laughs> really described. I'm just laughing now, just thinking about those dodo, not the dodo, the flamingos being used to like. See, now I got you messed up. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were hitting the hedgehogs, weren't they? Yes, they were. Yeah. I don't remember who the dodos were. The do it's, There's one dodo in Alice in Wonderland. And I'm talking about the Disney film because I have not read Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. But obviously, most people will have seen the Disney film. The dodo's like this sailor who sort of, he makes them run round and round this rock and she sort of sees him when she's in Wonderland now and again. He's just, he's a buffoon. Mm. That's me being rude to another animal. But he's just a bit goofy. And, but that's the way he's portrayed in the yeah, movie. Yeah, he doesn't make any sort of sense. And, you know, he's just sort of like this captain ordering everybody around and um, making them run around the rock to get dry. But they keep getting hit by the tide, you know, and she's trying to say to him, but we're still getting weight. And he's like, no, it's fine. While you were saying that, I, I remember that there is another much more recent pop culture depiction of dodos. And that is the dodos in Animal Crossing New Horizons that operate the airplane that flies you around to the different islands and stuff. Oh. I had just for, I had completely forgotten until just now. That's really cute. How is I've not played Animal Crossing. How is the dodo portrayed in there? Is it a good guy? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's kind of funny because they operate, I believe it's just called Dodo Airlines. There's one on the ground that calls up to the pilot and oh. the pilot comes and like picks you up and flies you around to different islands on his plane. Um, and I think that it's supposed to be like an ironic thing because they're dodos and they're flightless. They can't fly. And so they fly the airplanes around because they can't fly themselves. Yeah, I bet they wish <laughs> that they could fly the Portuguese off of their island. I bet. When the Portuguese showed up. <laughs> I, I was trying to think of like, since you naturally wouldn't have seen photos or anything mm -hmm. of a dodo. So I'm trying to think of like ways I could tie people into like, if you've seen this, you're aware of a dodo. I mean, what's, what's quite interesting is that, you know, while researching for this, there are conflicting accounts of what the dodos look like. Um, and it's often thought that I mean, should I describe what it looks like? Would that be helpful? I was going to ask, like, for people that are listening to this and they're like, I've only heard them mentioned, probably don't know very much about them. Yeah. Like, what is a dodo? Quite a nice little fact is that the dodo is actually a type of pigeon. Um, the closest living relative to the dodo is the Nicobar pigeon. That's one of my favorite pigeons. It's such a beautiful pigeon. 
It's spectacular. Yeah, uh, except it's massive. They could get up to 23 kilograms, which is 50 pounds. That's really big for a bird. Yeah, don't worry. I've got I've got all the conversions. Um, 50 oh, pounds. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> and um, for the US listeners, it is the weight of a baby American bison. That's huge. Yeah. Especially for a bird, because birds don't typically tend to be heavy at all. It's a big boy. And interestingly as well, you'd think that quite a lot of that weight was bone, but that's not the case. Because even though it was flightless, which I'll get into in a second, the bones are still hollow like, you know, Mm. any other bird. They didn't densify. That's a word. Mm, Sure. Um, (laughs) So they were one meter tall, which is three foot. There's been arguments about what it looked like because some uh, accounts say they were blue gray. Some said they were sort of brownie gray. Some sort of said they were like a more of a cream color with a bit of gray in. And some even said they mature and turn black. So these people are drunk. Well, I wonder how much of that is like seasonal variation. Exactly. Like how a lot of birds change their plumage. Yeah. So like, I wonder how much of that is like just natural variation and like the same bird yeah. could be wildly different colors depending on when you see it. I think generally in pop culture, they are depicted as sort of a cream buff color. It's got an absolute lad of a beak. So <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a, if you think of, I, I suppose maybe a gull beak. Yeah. Um, if you think of like, you know, like a big herring gull or one of the big, big lads, like it's got quite a hook at the end and then it's got like a patch on the end. So it's got a reddish color at the end. And that was 23 centimeters, which is nine inches long. Quite the honker on that exactly. one. Exactly. Uh, yellow legs. And they're thick too. Like uh, the, yeah. the pictures that I've seen of like the fossils of them and stuff yeah. are like thick. You wouldn't want one to bite you. No, because it looks like it would have so much force behind it. Slice you right up. They have curly butt feathers. Curly butt feathers? They're little butt feathers like on the rump. Oh. Was sort of all their really curly feathers, which I just think is just very sweet. I mean, that is. But you know, like some ducks, some of the sort of domesticated ducks have the sort of curly butt. Um, which are very, very sweet. I think there's a pigeon that does have curly feathers. Frillback pigeons. There you go. They're like domesticated, you know. Yeah. You know how like people make those fancy designer pigeons, basically? <laughs> it's one of those. Um, but they have these really delightful curly feathers. So I'm just imagining that they have this kind yeah. of little butt moment going on. Very sweet. Um, so as I was saying earlier, it's thought that they're actually slimmer because they're really, they are depicted as like squat, round balls on legs with <laughs> rotund little fellow exactly but they think that actually that's you know maybe they just put too much stuffing in um and actually they were <laughs> they had a featherless head really yeah so they actually thought that they were close you know a type of vulture when they first saw them but dna analysis says that they are pigeons although other people are like actually it should be in its own family but that's getting all quite complicated isn't it <laughs> let's just say they're pigeons I can definitely see the vulture resemblance in that beak shape too. Think about like a condor or something yeah. like that. They do mm-hmm. kind of have that big, thick beak like that. Yeah, absolutely. They also had teeny tiny baby wings. So they were undeveloped and they obviously couldn't support the body in flight as if you'd be able to get that off the ground. But <laughs> they think that when, if they were running, that the little wings would help them maintain balance like when they were okay. running. So if you just imagine them like... <laughs> Running along at top speed towards the predators. We'll get into that in a minute. Then their little like wings would be out there, like like is it Naruto? Like the little Naruto run. <laughs> Just like 
I'm just saying, if I saw that coming towards me, I would for sure stand down immediately. Yeah. I'd be like, I don't know what your plan is, but you seem to know something I don't. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, that just made me laugh when I read that. What do you think the dodo eats? Oh, gosh. Okay, big hooked beak like that. Now that you said vulture, now I'm thinking carrion. Now I'm thinking that it's mm-hmm. like ripping like meat because it's got a big bulky beak and a sharp hook for a beak. So like that would be great for ripping. But with it being related to pigeons, I don't know of any pigeons that... I don't even think the designer pigeons eat carrion. No, <laughs> or like meat at all, yeah. right? Like I, So I, I don't know which way I want to go. If I want to say meat like a vulture or seeds and nuts and stuff like a pigeon i'm gonna say the seeds and nuts like a pigeon though you are absolutely correct oh nailed it so nuts seeds bulbs and roots and fallen fruits and it's been suggested though there's no evidence that they might have eaten things like crab shellfish and been slightly more sort of opportunistic omnivores that would make sense because like they've got the Mm -hmm. gear for it right got a big old beak i just sort of imagine them sort of like trying to get to bulbs and things like that under the ground like with those massive powerful legs like they were thick with a double c (laughs) you know big big sides big legs you know they'd have been able to dig and sort of use that beak to i mean i'm making this up i'm just assuming i don't you know but i'm just trying to think of that that would be useful like apparatus to dig a little bit and then get seeds you could also just like crane kick the tree yeah. and like knock the fruit right out of it like <laughs> <thunk. laughs> i'm just thinking of how thick their legs look like when you see sort of reconstructions and stuff like they are strong like they didn't miss leg day which for sure always made me think they were probably relative of like ostriches yeah I mean, like when you think of like extinct big birds, like there's some huge big birds that are absolutely terrifying, you know, and they're just like uh, just a slightly smaller version of those absolutely terrifying extinct, you know, massive monster birds. So where would you find them? when they were around Mauritius Mauritius so the island of Mauritius so that is to the east of Madagascar this is like Indian Ocean yes area yeah okay but so that was an uninhabited island uninhabited by human island obviously the dodos were living there among lots of other things at the time that the Europeans arrived and by Europeans I mean the Portuguese and the Dutch which were just sailing the seas not being cool they were up to a lot at the time. Yes, they were They were doing a lot. And actually, this is probably one of the least terrible things that <laughs> they did, which is quite saying something. Yeah, that bar is very low. It is absolutely low. The late 16th century, so 1598, is when we're talking about the first time that somebody, either Portuguese or Dutch, some people say the Portuguese, some people say the Dutch, but either or, they were both not cool. So at the time that they arrived in Mauritius, was the dodo, like, the dodo was, like, still there, right? Yep. The reason why they're flightless is that there was no other predators on that island to eat the dodo. It was absolutely vibing, living its life. This is dodo paradise. Living. Honestly. They were having a great time because the island is so, you know, secluded, I guess, hard to get to, that they didn't have anything to worry about. They reckon that originally, you know, an ancestor that eventually turned into the dodo was blown over by the storms because there's quite a lot of cyclones and stuff that happen in the area. Another thing that's quite interesting is because they didn't have any predators, they laid one egg because, you know, birds will lay numerous eggs because of 
maybe one will die, maybe this will get predated, blah, blah, blah. I need to sort of, you know, bet on the odds. But the dodos were just like, you know what? I'm going to lay it on the ground. Why not? I'm going to lay one egg because this is going to survive. And I'm just going to go up to absolutely anything that comes up to me because what is a predator? Never heard of it. Stress, (laughs) never heard of it. Couldn't be me. Fight or flight does not exist. (laughs) Neither. I will do neither. No, and... What's quite interesting is when they arrived and they were like, oh, this island's great. The dodo waddled up to them. Like, they literally was just like, oh, hey, guys, what you doing? Who are you? What's going on? They were being neighborly. Yeah, it was like, yeah, you're a weird bird. Um, (laughs) And just walking up to them. And of course, they were just like, great. Who wants breakfast? Oh, sure. You're like, that's a big chunky turkey waddling our way. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's quite interesting because a lot of people say, well, humans hunted them to extinction and and, and that's what's killed them. And it's a little bit more complicated than that, because what do humans bring to islands that we still have problems with now? They bring animals with them to islands, cats, rats. Often on purpose. Often. Yeah, definitely. Cats, rats, pigs. And monkeys, pet monkeys. Don't do that. They're little pet monkeys. And they're just like, oh, let's have the monkeys make perfect pets. Let's take them on the boats. So, you know, there's also sort of arguments about some people say that dodos tasted gross, which doesn't really make sense because pigeons, I don't think I've eaten pigeon, but people do eat pigeons, don't they? People do. Yeah. So they can't be that bad, but apparently... They didn't taste that good. Other sources say they did taste good and they'd have eaten them. So initially they did go in and start eating them. Some sources say people didn't like them that much. So maybe they didn't get eaten as much. But like habitat loss. Let's clear all this nice woodland and build some houses. Get an ecologist. See, they could have used a survey. Exactly. Yeah. And they'd have been like, this is amazing giant bird. Let's not eat them because they are only endemic to this area. I don't think that was high on their list of priorities at the time. <laughs> no, but the, the the biggest problem for them was the cats, rats, monkeys, pigs, which basically just decimated the chicks. So they died out because some people were eating them. They lost quite a lot of habitat and I don't think Mauritius is that big. So do you want to guess how long after the arrival of European settlers, the dodo went extinct? Let's see, you said this was, when was this? This was the, like, 1598. I bet they made it to, like, 1800. 1662. Oh, that, oh, no, that's not very long at all. That's 65 years. Oh. I mean, there were sort of arguments that, you know, some people saw them in the 1800s, but, I mean, pretty much they mm-hmm. were absolutely decimated. Oh, and they'd been there for, I mean, you think about like the grand scale of like how long they had been there with like no issue and then people show up and they're immediately gone. Exactly. Um, And they can live up to 20 years, they think. Um, So, you know, they were quite long lived birds. I suppose there's parrots and stuff that live that long. I don't really know what the lifespan of most birds is. But um, it sounds like they're also reproducing at a really slow rate. One chick a year, yeah. Yeah. So like when animals reproduce really slowly like that, like a, a really low fecundity, is that the word? Like low fecundity when like they're not... <sighs> that sounds like a fancy word. Like, <laughs> well, like when they're not having very many babies at once, it means that their generations are so far apart that it is so difficult for them to adapt. Mm. So like 
when something huge changes in their environment, they just don't have time to respond to it as a species. I mean, it's kind of in, in terms of flightless birds, it's, you know, similar to what's going on in New Zealand with the kakapo and, you know, the kiwi and the, the flightless birds over there that, you know, we've got domestic cats and rats and everything. And, you know, they really do decimate flightless birds that aren't used to having to avoid those things. You know, I think... Wasn't there like 30 kakapos left or something absolutely insane? It was very low. I will say like conservation efforts have been doing really well for those birds. Like they've been recovering. I'd love to meet a kakapo. They're just ridiculously gorgeous. But sadly, there was nobody doing that work for the dodo. And we see how that went. There was not. I mean, interestingly, the dodo is a good candidate for resurrection. Though, why? Um, right (laughs) do we want to put them through that all over again yeah exactly i mean you know even if you did bring it back and put it on the island of mauritius that is a populated country now and whilst they do have the dodo on the flag which is that i don't know (laughs) it seems like a bit of a mick take really it doesn't seem very fair to have humans to put it on the flag when they were you know responsible for its downfall it's an in memoriam yeah exactly um, but there's there are enough specimens tissue wise that I think one of them is in the Oxford Museum of Natural History, which I must have seen because I have been there a number of times. And uh, also there's enough fragments of the DNA and there's I think there's one in Mauritius with the Nicobar pigeon being a surrogate, which seems mm. if you think of the size difference, how on earth? They must have a big egg, right? Well, exactly. So <laughs> how are they going to lay that egg? <laughs> goodness only knows so let's hope they keep it as never mind probably not we've seen jurassic park i know it never ends well like what can we can we learn once please exactly yeah <laughs> i think that um there's quite a lot of talk about in popular culture it's dead as a dodo which is fine that makes sense because they are dead but a lot of the um points are you're as stupid as a dodo dumb as a dodo you know doddery like a dodo and everything i've read actually suggests that they were really well adapted. Hey there, we are going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we are going to rate the dodo, so stay with us. Hello, dreamers. This is Evelyn Denton, CEO of the only world-class, fully immersive theme resort, Steeplechase. You know, I've been seeing more and more reports on the blogs that our beloved park simply isn't safe anymore. Murdered them? I'm gonna wreck it. They say they got mugged by brigands in the fantasy kingdom of Ephemera or hijacked by space pirates in Infinitum. I mean, I could have a knife. My papa said that I needed to do a crime. Friends, I'm here to reassure you that it's all part of the show. These criminals were really just overzealous staff trying to make things a little more magical for our guests. We're just as safe as we've always been. This isn't a county fair, dreamers. This is Steeplechase. The Adventure Zone. Every Thursday at MaximumFun.org. Since the dawn of time, man has dreamed of bringing life back from the dead. From Orpheus and Eurydice to Frankenstein's monster, resurrection has long been merely the stuff of myth, fiction, and fairy tale. Until now. Actually, we still can't bring people back from the dead. That would be crazy, but the Dead Pilot Society podcast has found a way to resurrect great dead comedy pilots from Hollywood's finest writers. Every month, Dead Pilot Society brings you a reading of a comedy pilot that was sold and developed but never produced, performed by the funniest actors from film and television. How does Dead Pilot Society achieve this miracle? 
The answer can only be found at MaximumFun.org. Our whole deal, if this is your first time listening, is we rate animals out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. And the first category is effectiveness, which for us is physical adaptations. So these are like tools in their belt. These are things that the animal has built into their body that let them do a good job of the things that they're trying to do. So Natalie, I'm super curious. I'm not really sure which way to lean on on effectiveness for an extinct animal, but what would you give the dodo out of 10 for effectiveness? I think I would give them an eight out of 10 for effectiveness. I, I realize that's a high score and there's people going, they're extinct. Well, they're only extinct because of us. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. And let's remove humans from the picture completely and look at the dodo before we arrived. The island of Mauritius gets hit by a lot of storms, a lot of cyclones, which would be problematic in terms of, whoa, it's windy. I need to get under shelter, but also ripping out trees, reducing the amount of food that's available. The size of the dodo, that thing is packed with fat and they're sturdy. Like if you think of a really stocky, sturdy animal that is really able to withstand those storms in terms of they've got enough food stored away in their bodies, they can peck away with their beak, they can scratch at the ground with their really, really solid legs. They're not fragile. People see extinct animals as like these fragile things, but actually they're not adapted to live with humans and to live with rats and cats and other predators, you know. So for their time, for the environment that they have evolved to live in, they are very effective. They lived for hundreds of thousands of years before humans got there. And really, who can withstand humans? Not even us. Not even humans can withstand humans. It's a tough job. When you start to see boats on your horizon, something bad's about to happen to you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, yeah. No one wants to see ship sails coming in. You were describing that the dodo is like sturdy to to like withstand storms and stuff. And that just put this mental image in my head of like a little dodo being blown around in the wind <laughs> or they're like, there's a storm coming in. The poor little dodo is like yeah. swaying Whoa. around, being blown around, like with the little wings flapping, yeah, exactly. <laughs> desperately flapping, trying to stay up. But they're heavy, mm-hmm. but they're also short. So they're very dense and have a low center of gravity. Yeah. Rugby players. <laughs> like a brick wall. <laughs> I'm just imagining that these little guys are basically just like built to never be toppled. Yeah, they're like dwarf class as well. They're su- they're super bottom heavy. Yeah, incredibly <laughs> solid. You definitely want them on your team. Maybe send them mining in the mines of Moria. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they are tough. They're a tough class. Little Doran running around out there. They're, yeah, they're not used to, um, you know, people clubbing them. No, that's not on their list of threats. No. Poor little babies. I'm wondering, with other flightless birds that have these chunky legs like this, I shouldn't say chunky because they're more muscular, right? It's more like a a solid muscle. They're like built. This is like a jacked leg. Were they fast? Is that like, does it seem like it was like a running adaptation, I wonder? I don't know. I mean, it could be. It doesn't, I've not really said anything. I guess, why would they be? Well, exactly. I mean, it says to maintain balance at top speeds, but nowhere does it say actually what their top speed was. And it sounded like all they did was run up to people rather than run away from the people. I'm just wondering if they didn't have predators and they weren't hunting, 
they would have no reason to ever run, Why right? Like that wouldn't even be a skill they would have. Their main battle is versus the elements. And probably each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was another suggestion about the hooked beak as well, that it might have been for competition, you know, between males. Get off my harem. Kind of like how like ungulates will have these big horns mm. that are more so for like fighting each other than for fighting anything else. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Maybe they ran fast. We don't know. I think that's quite um, a fascinating thing. There's quite a lot of, we think that this, mm-hmm. maybe... Because they're still, they're still like, there are like a few specimens in museums around the world, but then more recent things, I actually went and read science journals. Oh, can you believe? So they've actually, they are digging for dodo bones. And actually that reminds me another point about them not eating them too much is they were looking in sort of refuse dumps from the original settlers, but there weren't loads of bones. Like even when I dig in my garden, I'm finding pig bones. Like I'm in quite an old house. It's my actual house was built in the early 1800s, but the house that I'm attached to was built in the 15th century. Oh my gosh. And so my garden was part of the garden of the house next door. And whenever we're digging wow. flower beds, I'm like, chicken bone, pig bone, you know, like, and, and there is signs of people living here, you know, and we have middens where people just chucked all the refuse and they didn't have the bin collectors coming around to pick up the things. So they didn't find loads of evidence of people eating the dodo but they did find sort of old bones and stuff actually just going slight off on a tangent someone who was a enthusiast spent four decades collecting dodo bones and buying dodo bones and he sold a skeleton that was pieced together by loads of different individuals a 95 percent complete skeleton and it fetched £280,000, which is $350,000 at auction. And I think that sort of shows how much it lives in people's minds as like a, an extinct species. I think there's so many that go extinct all the time. And I think the dodo just sits in people's minds as if you asked a child to name an extinct animal, they're going to say the dodo. So people just think they just think of the plight of the dodo. But I think there's also a lot of appeal to the dodo, not only because it's extinct, but also because it is so different from anything that's still here. You know, like we have more familiar species go extinct, like passenger pigeons, mm. ivory-billed woodpeckers that really don't get that same sort of attention. Yeah. Because we still have animals around that are very similar to them. And so it doesn't inspire the imagination, I think, as much. Whereas when you've got the dodo, the dodo is like drastically different from any other animal that we still have. So it's kind of, it makes your imagination work a lot harder. Yeah. And I think Lewis Carroll having it in Adventures in Wonderland, that everyone sort of knows that story, really. So having that sort of cements it. Add some whimsy. love, Love whimsy. Whimsy's the best thing ever. I think the name Dodo is putting in a lot of work also in the charisma factor because Dodo is a goofy name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had a look as to why it's called the Dodo. It was actually, the Dutch called it Wallow Bird. Okay, <sighs> all right. Meh. And some Portuguese sailors referred to it as a penguin, which may have been a mangling of pinion, meaning small wing. Modern linguists aren't even sure about where it came from, but they think that the Dutch word dodor, which means sluggard, <laughs> or the Portuguese word... Hold on, what does sluggard mean? <laughs> I don't know that one either. <laughs> I guess um, lazy. Like sluggard would be like um, sluggish, I suppose, you know, just sort of like lazy doddering. Got it. 
or the Portuguese word dodo, which is D-O-U-D-O, dodo, um, which means crazy, which mm. uh, I'm not sure how that one makes sense, but I think the sluggish one, but um, that might go to suggest that maybe they weren't running around <laughs> fast. They were just like bumbling about. They were, you know, they were living on dodo time. They were, they're in their own lane. Thriving. Eating seeds. Moisturized. Eating fruit. Yeah. Flourishing. Exactly. The occasional <laughs> crab when it came to it. That's fun. As a treat. Exactly. Yeah. Treat, treat yourself. yourself. <laughs> Every day is a spa day yeah. for a dodo. Exactly. So. <laughs> well, since you mentioned that, you know, this, this name is probably could allude to their personality maybe being a little more slow paced and and i have heard you know like you mentioned a lot of people maybe associate the dodos with being not exactly the brightest bulb in the box perhaps not the sharpest knife in the drawer i don't know (laughs) if that's fair or not but that does bring us to our next category that we rate animals on which is ingenuity which is just behavioral things way that the animal is behaving things it's doing to like solve problems that it faces which (laughs) I mean, clearly the problems were insurmountable in the case of the dodo, but uh, what do you give the dodo for ingenuity? (laughs) I'm going to give the dodo a two. That's fair. Adaptable, they are not. I I mean, I would probably say two because they have ingenuity in that, you know, they see a crab and they go, go on. (laughs) All right, I'm flexible. I'll eat this crab. It's there. I'll eat it. It's fine. But for everything else, they just became, like a lot of island species, so specialised that they are just not adaptable. They literally walked to their death. Oh, poor babies. You can't blame them. No, because how would they know? Exactly, yeah. And just (laughs) 60 years, shockingly, is not enough time for a species to adapt to something as... um, you know, bad as invasive animals, you know, eating all of their eggs. Unfortunately, they have the drawback of being compared to modern day pigeons, which we know to be quite bright. Modern day pigeons are incredibly intelligent. Like they are super smart. Like they're really good at like reading cues and understanding like cause and effect relationships, especially like visual stuff. Should we bring them back just so we can put them in lab tests? To see if they're as smart as their pigeon, their pigeon great, 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 great grandchildren. (laughs) The first dodo in hundreds of years is hatched out of the egg and we're like, we just wanted to see real quick. (laughs) Yeah, hold up a whiteboard. What shape is this? Press the button with your massive leg. (laughs) And then if they get it wrong, we're like, sorry, we're letting this one go. I'm sorry. (laughs) Shut it down. Bye. Off you go. No more dodos. No one report this. Lock the doors. Nobody's getting out of this room. (laughs) Everyone sign NDAs. (laughs) Oh my God, there's some Dutch sailors. Uh, Here you go. We can just have it. My old enemy. Have it back. Do what you do. (laughs) Poor thing. But we hear this a lot. You know, we talked about this with the kiwi. And I've also heard about this with penguins. That like when an animal just kind of gets used to being the biggest thing where it lives... Mm they kind of lose that instinct to like run away from something they don't understand. Yeah. You know, they lose that, like the response that prey has when it sees something where it's like, I don't know what that is. I don't like that thing. I'm going to run away from it. Like you lose that over time. Yeah. I guess that's the fight or flight, isn't it? Which is mostly flight. Though I will say, okay, they could have gone fight. They could have. They clearly could. This thing's built like a tank, you know, like they could have gone down swinging. They really could. But I suppose, um, 
probably a bloke with a club just coming over would be quite a quick, you know, I bet if you punched a dodo in the face, that would hurt your hand. <laughs> you would injure yourself. Like, I would not add that on my list of things that I would be doing is punching. Um, I wouldn't punch any animal in the face, but definitely, definitely not a dodo. No. You'd get like a sliced hand. It wouldn't even blink. It's like, psych- I sit in the middle of cyclones, sis. <laughs> you think you're going to take me out? You just punch it and it's just like an absolute tank, you know, like a boxer that receives a punch in the face by like a lightweight. The thing doesn't budge. <laughs> I feel like it's going to take a little more than that, my friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, they're not doing that. They just didn't know. And it brings us back to like, it's still not their fault. You know, no. like bless them for being the pacifist yep. sort of like, they didn't even think that it was anything they needed to fight about. I mean, if you think about like humans and think about the time scale and look back a hundred thousand years, if we've not had anything that could kill us, remove all predators from the earth in this mm-hmm. story, we, we are very used to not being afraid of predators even though there are predators because of what we've done, we're not afraid of predators. Imagine if a massive alien predator just comes, like we're really gonna struggle because we're so used to not being relaxed. We can go to the shop. We don't have to worry about anything taking us out when we go to the shop. And a hundred thousand years is such a long time to not be afraid of something. And then just to expect them to be afraid of this weird two-legged long bird. Okay, so you mentioned that you have seen, or that there are at least like specimens of them in museums. I've certainly seen depictions of them in pop culture. And, you know, artists recreate them all the time based on the information we have to see like what the dodo probably looked like. Mm -hmm. So I don't exactly know how well we can rate them on aesthetics. But the last category we rate animals on is aesthetics, which is just how nice an animal is to look at. And the dodo has an extremely distinct look. It is very different. It's very unique. I'm curious to know, what would you rate the dodo for aesthetics? You're making a face. (laughs) I was just like, right, let me just get all the depictions of a dodo up on my screen. And they are what I would describe as gopping. I think as as (laughs) that's actually a Welsh word, gopping which just means horrible. Oh no. <laughs> horrible. I think they are really ugly. Oh no. They are actually they are to the point of being actually quite terrifying. Like those eyes, they're normally depicted with mm. like yellow eyes with you know like gull eyes that are sort of the yellow with the really quite intense black pupil in the middle that just looks yes. like it's looking directly into your soul. Yes. And that added to all the other features of it looking quite unusual and strange. I find it quite a terrifying bird to look at from the depictions, to be honest. I think that the sharpness of the beak would do it for me on its own. Yeah. Like you see this thing that's got you know, essentially a scythe. He's got a naked face. Oh, that's true. Although, although I will say I like a lot of birds that have naked faces. I love vultures and stuff. I saw some right. of the um, falconry the other day that I went to visit and they were absolutely beautiful. But this guy, 
Okay, I'm I'm looking at pictures right now, which are like, who knows how like faithful these depictions are. But something that I do think gives the dodo a very distinct look that separates it from like vultures and stuff is the sort of slope of their like forehead region. Yeah, they almost have this sort of like bulbous head. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I it's do. very like lumpy almost. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be so mean <laughs> and give them a one. <laughs> That's okay. It's mean. I mean, nobody's looking. You know, a depiction of a dodo and going, "Oh, that's cute." No, it's not cute. It is. It's gopping. That's a, just a new word for you. So uh, I was looking at pictures of what dodos look like, and I found this article from Stony Brook University, but they used this picture of a model of a dodo bird that looks grotesque. It's not super cute, but I will say, I do see those curly butt feathers, and it really just makes the whole thing look really goofy. Like, it looks like it's trying really hard to be intimidating and scary, but it just has the wackiest proportions where it's got these tiny little wings. If you imagine it's waddle, it must waddle. It- Look at those those it would have legs to. are tiny and it just looks like those it. are waddling legs. Yeah, I mean it depends on the depiction because some of them, you know, some depictions give it like a long longer legs, but So the article that I that I saw this picture on is called Study Reveals Dodo Birds Not Stupid as Previously Thought. It seems to be based on brain scans. Mm-hmm. These are scans of, it says, brain endocasts from the dodo. They have enlarged olfactory bulbs, which I'm imagining means they were probably very good at smelling and finding things based on smell. We were talking about, like, pigeons being very good at, like, mm. interpreting visual cues. But, I mean, look at that thing's nose. Clearly, it's going to be uh, specked into smelling with that thing, right? Like, Yeah, the size of the nostrils. It, they got to be pulling in some wild smell like <laughs> signals through there. It's like, give me them seeds. So this says, uh, in general, birds depend much more on sight rather than smell to navigate through their world. And as a result, they tend to have larger optic lobes than olfactory bulbs. The authors of this study that's being uh, cited by Stony Brook University, they say the authors suggest that because dodos and solitaires, I think that's something related to dodos. That is a card game. <laughs> it is a card game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It says because dodos and solitaires were ground dwellers, they relied on smell to find food, which might have included fruit, small land vertebrates, and marine animals like shellfish. The researchers also discovered an unusual curvature of the dodo's semicircular canal, which are the balance organs located in the ear. However, they do not have a good hypothesis for this atypical feature. That's exciting. It could be that maybe they were interpreting olfactory and chemical signals a lot more than visual signals. Mm. So like when humans showed up, they looked at them and were like, this means nothing to me. This is, I don't know what this they is They smell fine. All the smell checks. They probably did not smell fine. (laughs) No, I've been. I've got scurvy. You know, at this time they definitely would have had scurvy. I've got scurvy. I'm not washed. What? What is a shower? No deodorant. I've spent too long on the poop deck. (laughs) No bidets in sight. No. Can you imagine? (laughs) They step on the beach and the dodos are like, "Oh, what is that?" They knew they were there immediately. Absolutely immediately. Yeah, they're on the other side of the island. We could smell y'all from the horizon. (laughs) Rest in peace, Dodo. Gone but never forgotten. Mm. Still here in our hearts. I wish I could have met one of you. I could see why 
they're charismatic. You know, like they're kind of silly looking little guys. They look very goofy. They're never, they're not exactly regal. They never had a they're chance. They're not exactly majestic creatures. Yeah, they really didn't. No. But I think that's that's an interesting point as well with the fact that they're often the most charismatic animals and the prettiest animals get the funds, you know, the endangered species, the pandas and whatever, and things like the blobfish, people are like, ew. But the fact that this is stayed quite firmly in the minds of people um there's so many articles there's so so many studies on them so that's you know good for them it's the only thing they've got going for them right now i can't help but wonder if maybe things would have gone differently for them if they had been prettier maybe you know they'd have at least been they become cage birds like maybe humans would have kept them in captivity or been a little nicer to them. I can't help but wonder if things would have gone a little differently for the dodo if maybe they looked different. I wonder what they sounded like. Do you think they honked? They would have to, right? Like what noise comes out of a bird like that? Like, honk. It can't be anything different than like with a nose like that, that is a foghorn. You could hear that thing from miles around. Probably get some bass in there. The ship actually thought that there was like a lighthouse there with a foghorn, but actually it was just loads of dodos. Who's that signaling us? Better go over there. <laughs> well, Natalie, it has been a delight. Thank you so much for teaching us about dodos. I feel like I have a lot more context for them. Yeah. You know, like understanding them a little bit better. It's nice to like bring them to life a little bit. Maybe we drag them a little bit, but you know what? That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, dodo ghosts. Before we hop off for today, I would love it if you could let our friends listening know where they can find your podcast, if they can follow you on social media, like where can people keep up with you? Mm -hmm. So if you want sort of ecology wildlife content, um, I'm at Nat Sabin, S-A-B-I-N um, on Twitter. And if you are interested in the podcast, I am at underscore across the ages on Twitter. And if you just type in across the ages podcast, I will come up. It is there. It's on all the platforms. You can see the cover art that's you making a very fun face. Exactly. And that's usually the face I'm making when I'm reading something out that I am just, is just ridiculous and incredible. Um, it was exactly the face you were making when I was asking you about Dodo aesthetics. <laughs> that's the exact face. <laughs> that's the exact face. So, um, yeah, so <laughs> come on over and follow me. Discuss history with me on the Across the Ages one. Discuss wildlife with me on my um, main account. So, yeah. I'll have links to everything below also in the description. So uh, anybody listening can just scroll into the episode description and get links to everything so they can come follow you. Hey, come and join me. Join us. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a delight. Thank you, Nat. I will talk to you later. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that the dodo will forever live on in your heart as you too gleefully approach the unknown with fearless curiosity. I hope that we've earned a five-star review from you on your podcast app of choice. If you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. Links to everything will be in the episode description. You can also send me an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear about on the show. 
Thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network alongside your other wonderful shows like the ones that you have heard promos for here today. You can check out those other shows, learn more about the network, and sign up for a membership to support us and keep the show going um, along with the other shows on the network, and that's over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music that gets me through the day. That's all for today. We'll see you all next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.